0: Good morning, welcome to Tower View Baptist Church. My name is Darren Smith, the senior pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. You cannot see him, but on the audiovisual today helping us is Pastor Nelson Nisley. We appreciate him as he helps us record these videos. And so we know many of you are joining us, maybe for the first time. Thank you so much. There's a lot of places you could listen to, a lot of things you could go to, but thank you for joining us as we study God's Word today. If you're a Tower View member, we especially want to continue to encourage you to pray during this time, to See God's face and ask Him to guide us and direct us as a church as we kind of have a blank slate in a lot of ways about how we minister. Uh, if you're just a regular watcher and you're not a Tower View member or you've never even literally set foot in our building, you are... Always welcome to join us socially distant in the parking lot uh, in in your car for drive-in church. We have a grass area on Sunday mornings at ten thirty a.m. that you can set up your chair, and also uh, by reservation only you can come in if you let us know ahead of time the week before. Anyway, so glad you're here, and, and, and also if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for joining us. We are super appreciative of you being here. We pray that you see why we are talking about these things because there is a Savior. His name is. Jesus. Jesus. He's resurrected from the dead and he came to save you from your sins. Let me read the scripture today. We are in Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 2, as we're going through the summer of the Psalms. And what we're doing is we're doing one well known Psalm one week, which last week was Psalm 23. And this week, we're doing a lesser-known psalm. We, we, we hear this, we read through this, most of us, but it's not one we usually talk about. So Psalm 2 this morning, I'm going to read our text, I'll pray, and we'll get into our sermon today. Reading from the English Standard Version, Psalm 2, as we start. And David, most likely the author, it doesn't say, but probably most likely David, says this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens, verse 4, laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. That's going to be a key verse for us coming up. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. kiss the son, lest he be angry and perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. but blessed are those who all blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Will you pray with me this morning? May God bless the reading, hearing and doing of his word. Let's pray together today. Father, as we come before you on this day. We want to thank you so much for the technology to do this. Father, it is a blessing to be able to to study your word, and and, and for some right now digitally, for some listening after they've heard the in-person sermon version of this. But wherever we are, Lord, we thank you so much, mostly for your son Jesus, who this psalm is about. So, Father, we pray for wisdom and pray for those who know Christ to grow in Christ today. We pray for those without Christ. Lord, that they would be uh, brought by your Holy Spirit, drawn to the need for a Savior found only in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. We give you our church, Tower View Baptist Church here, Father. May you be glorified in and through it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Well, there's a story told of, of the waning days of the Roman Empire in 350 A.D. when Flavius Claudius Julius Julianus, excuse me, was back and reinstated pagan worship. And if you know the Roman history, you know that Constantine became a Christian. He was one of the earlier Roman emperors, and he turned everything Christian. But Flavius Claudius made it pagan again. He wanted to worship the gods of the Roman Empire long since retired. And he viewed Christians, as he said, a powerful enemy of the gods. And he determined to get rid of every last thing of Christianity through persecution. And on one occasion, the story goes, Julian, the king, or the ruler, emperor, entertained friends by literally bringing in a Christian and tormenting him, by, 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 by literally poking and prodding him in front of his friends. And this man's name, this Christian's name, was named Agaton. But with so many Christians being put to death, the emperor asked, how, he said to Agaton, is your carpenter of Nazareth doing? Is Jesus finding work these days, he said mockingly? But without hesitation, Agaton, the Christian being poked and prodded, replied, and he said this. He said, Jesus is perhaps taking time away from building mansions for faithful Christians to build a coffin, O king, for your empire." John Newton said it this way, he said, there's one political maxim which comforts me, it's that the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Christian, as we study Psalm 2, that's going to be the theme, and Agatha that Christian in that story got that, that the Lord reigns. There is no one else, there's no political figure, there's no emperor, there's no authority greater than God himself. And the Lord reigns, it's not COVID, it's not political power, it's not Satan, it's not man, it's not God and man, it's not good luck or bad luck or random events or your sin or the sin in you, whatever circumstances are before you. It's not the right alignment of the stars or accident or blind faith or anything else. The one who reigns is God and God alone. God is in charge but he's not in a hurry. In fact, Philippians 2, 9, 11 says it this way. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Listen, the most underreported story of the day is this, is that Jesus, God's Son, reigns with all authority in heaven and on earth, and everything always is going His way. No matter what's happened in your life, last night or last week or this weekend, Jesus lives, Jesus reigns, and Jesus is coming back again, and we are told to bow down and worship. And so our big idea today as we go through this Psalm 2 is simply this. The big idea is just a summary of the, the text we're studying and the sermon itself. Is that if the risen Jesus isn't flipping out, or as my generation would say, if the risen Jesus isn't freaking out over this world, why should we? The point is this, Jesus reigns, he reigns. And I know that might not seem that way when you see the news, but we are getting news from another network and it's in God's glory that no matter how things may look in the world around us, Jesus reigns over earth and heaven. And so today I want to answer that question, what in the world is going on? And that answer is in Psalm 2, it's found in four movements within the Psalm, it's very clear from the text. We're going to see the revolt of sin. The reply of the sovereign God, the rule of the Son, and the rules of surrender. These are the things we're going to see as we study the psalm, that Jesus truly does reign, that God reigns. A little context here, Psalm 2 is connected to Psalm 1, and we know from history, Jewish and Christian history, that at one point these psalms were probably one psalm together before they were split apart. And so they seem out of place. Psalm 1 seems to be better talking about the Proverbs, that you walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And Pastor Nelson is teaching on that live every Sunday at 8 a.m. here on our page. And Psalm 2 seems to be better fit in the prophets because it talks about the Messiah. But the Psalm wants to make clear that it is more than the hymn of the Jews. It's more than a song that they sang. It's the inspired Word of God that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Psalm 1 contrasts the wicked and the righteous and bids us to choose which way to live. Psalm 2 warns us there's a, there's a consequence, consequence rather, of the choices we make. Psalm 1 declares the Lord's authority over individuals. But Psalm 2, as we heard in the text, declares the Lord's authority over nations. And I'm here to tell you, Christian, that both are necessary for you to really believe with confidence that Jesus reigns. Look, it's hard to trust that God is in control of your life if you don't believe God controls the unfolding and the outworking of everything going on. Yes, even this pandemic. But it's easy to trust that he has your little life in his hands if you believe, as the song says, he's got the whole world in his hands. And that is the message of Psalm 2. The assurance that no one or nothing can stand against God's chosen King, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the people He's called His own. And that's assurance, Tower View, and all those who are watching this that attend church for us today. This is a royal psalm that's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell will never prevail against the church, our God reigns. And so let's get into it. The first movement of what in the world is going on, the first movement is the revolt of sin, the revolt of sin. Look back at verse one in Psalm two, if you will. Psalm, says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Why do they rage and the people's plot in vain? And it's a rhetorical question and it pictures an international conflict in, in a couple ways. First, the nations rage can you get that picture there? People of different races have come together like a mob in the streets. Not talking about the, the, the mobs or, or the protests we saw a couple months ago in America and around the world, although that might be a picture that you have in your mind. but in This mob scene isn't an emotional reaction. It's not just a flying off of the handle, but the people's plot in vain. While the godly of Psalm 1 meditate on God's word day and night, the wicked, those against God, those revolting in sin, are plotting and scheming in vain. In vain, what's that mean? It means they're plotting, they're planning, they're, they're scheming empty, emptily, worthlessly, and meaninglessly. Woo! Say that five times fast. But whatever the world is up to in the opening verse, the psalmist makes it clear. It ain't going to work it's going nowhere. Psalm 1 says it is an individual rebellion, but notice what it says in verse 2. It says, the rulers set themselves, the kings of the earth, the rulers set themselves and take counsel together against the Lord. This is military lingo here, and in the revolt of sin, they are getting ready for war. They take counsel together. I mean, how hard is it for people in our nation of Democrats, Republicans, grassroots, whatever ism you are, to agree on anything? I mean, really, to agree on anything. Hashtag 2020. But this picture is a worldwide group of leaders that have declared basically in modern language, it's time to go to war. And so they set themselves against other nations, against aliens from outer space. No, they set themselves against the Lord, the one who reigns this rebellion on earth is against the Lord God. And this isn't a general notion of God. This isn't the alcoholic anonymous, just believe whatever you want to God. It's not some generic God. This is Yahweh. This is Jehovah, the self-sufficient one, the one who said, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and the one who is who he is, whose eternal purpose is the anointed. Why are they revolting in sin? He tells you in verse 2 it's because they set themselves up against the Lord and against his anointed. Well, who's the anointed? Notice the capital A probably in your Bible. It's the Messiah. It's the New Testament version of what we would call the Christ. It's the one who the prophets, priests, and kings longed for. And 1 Peter 1 says that they saw in shadows what we now see clearly, that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And if you're watching this, And You do not know that truth. There is not any other salvation except in Jesus, and that is it. And when he says they're revolting against the Messiah, here is Jesus already, before he comes on the stage of the world scene, already being revolted against. But Scripture breaks the bond of context and puts it on the back of Jesus. So what's wrong with the world? The world is in rebellion against the Lord and His Son, Jesus Christ. Look, there's no middle ground. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. And so they they plot together, they scheme together, they're revolting in sin. But notice verse 3, he goes on to say, and this is quoting these, these rulers and kings, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. If there's one reason that most people do not come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's because they love their sin too much, and particularly they love what freedom, at least they think it's freedom, that sin offers. You see, when these nations come together, the cords and and bands, the the wicked picture the divine requirements. They picture the the obedience commands, the the, the things we're told to do as Christians from God as not being free. They see them as slavery, as bondage and oppression, and they're trying to chuck divine authority. So he asks in verse 1, why do the nations dare rage and plot in vain? Because these folks don't see God as freedom, but they see Him as a slave driver. But G- Jesus told us that He who has a son is free indeed. And there was a story from the French Revolution in the 1790s when one of the protesters climbed Notre Dame Church, and you may recall, I think a couple years ago, that cathedral was set on fire or had a fire. And this particular protester, though, in the 1700s went to the top and took the cross off the top and threw it down, and it literally shattered to hundreds of pieces to the shocked crowd below. And he said, the protester did, at least recorded in history, he said, everything that reminds you of God will be gone. But someone down below shouted even louder, well, sir, you will have to pull even the stars from the heavens to accomplish that. For its human rebellion against divine authority is futile. You can revolt in your sin all day, but God still reigns. I mean, is a tree really free when it's uprooted from the soil? Is a fish really free when it's caught on a fisherman's hook and brought out of the water? Is a train really free when it derails and goes about on its own? No, it's not. Therefore, no soul is free when it lives in rebellion against its divine creator. There's a revolt of sin in verses 1 to 3. That's what's going on first off. But notice God just doesn't let them revolt. He replies. And that's our second point. Not only the revolt of sin, but notice verses 4 to 6, the reply of the sovereign, the reply of the sovereign. Let's read that together again. He says in verse 4, he says, "'He who sits in the heavens laughs, and he holds them in derision.'" Then he, speaking of God, will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, referring to Christ, on my holy hill. Look, let me tell you what God is not doing right now, church. Let me tell you. He's not pacing heaven's floor. Pastor Nelson and I like to pace. I pace when I'm on phone calls. He paces when he's thinking. I mean, we're not rushed. Uh, to do things we like to pace, but God is not. God is not rushed to his war room to determine his military response. God is not taken away to some secure mountain to be whisked away to some safe place for his protection. While the nations are raging and revolting in sin, God is where he's always been. He's on his throne. But what's he doing there? Well, verse four just told us, and this may shock you. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Mark it down. Human rebellion and human rebellion in God's providence is divine comedy. And so God laughs at mankind's attempts to get rid of him. Satan tried that once, it didn't work out so well. Humankind tries it and he says it's never going to work. I mean, do you really know who God is? He's the one who stepped out before the, the, the dawning of history and stepped out and broke the silence with his own voice and said, Let there be light. You think you're going to get rid of God, but in effect, verse 4 says, God is laughing at mankind. That is his reply. The sovereign God replies in laughing. And he laughs not out of hilarity, but of derision. Severity is the smile of God. When God laughs, it's not funny like you hear a comedian or you say a joke and everybody laughs. God is not laughing with us. He is laughing at us at us. And so he holds us in derision. He holds us in derision. He holds us and he holds the world of all those who are not in his and makes them think they're okay, but really they are not. So what Romans 1 says, that they have been turned over to their sin. And like a pig that rolls around in the muck and mire and slop that's out there for the pig pen, so too the revolting humans do that apart from God. But here's his reply. I'm laughing at you because you have no idea what you're doing. And so he goes on in verses 5 to 6, and he says very clearly, he says he will speak to them in his wrath. He will speak to them in his wrath. What he's saying here, and I think what he's getting at, is that when he speaks to them in his wrath, he's telling them, I'm setting a day of judgment. I'm setting a day when my son Jesus Christ, along with all those who profess faith in him, will judge the world in righteousness. And Christian, that will be part of your responsibility. You have no authority apart from what God has given you by faith in his name. But Corinthians tells us we will judge the world with Christ. And so he terrifies them in his wrath. He terrifies them. If you're watching this and God, the name of the biblical God, does not make you shake in your boots, then you do not know the biblical God. Because when we have been humbled in our sin and we know the judgment of God is upon our head, we have no response, no reply. It's not a revolt at that moment. It's a humble submission to say, Lord, I, I ask for forgiveness because you are who you are and I am who I am and I'm a sinner and, and you're the holy God. What this world needs is not more teaching about lots of things except this, that God is holy, holy, holy. But this is his message to rebellious mankind. It is too late. Verse 6 says he's already sent his anointed son, and he's placed him on his holy hill. That he's anointed his son, not that Jesus had to have any special order, as some believe. Jesus always has been God, and we believe there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful. They share all that, yet distinctly different. One God, three persons. Yet Jesus did not receive as some promotion or some pat on the back, uh, as some uh, cults believe, this, this holy hill setting. But God sent forth His Son. And when He sent forth His Son, the world saw it very clearly, that everything that was told about Him in the Old Testament came true. He is God's Son, and He is on the holy hill. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, waiting to judge the world, and He is coming again. And so we got here too late and we leave too early to overthrow God's government. He's already set the Lord Jesus Christ on His holy hill. But Christian, I want you to get this, is that no matter how things look, the Lord Jesus has the last word and He has the last laugh. He has the last word and the last laugh. So there's the revolt of sin. There is the reply of the sovereign. But notice thirdly, the rule of the Son. Notice the psalmist doesn't continue to talk about the people revolting. He wants to talk about the one with whom they're revolting against. And so he says in in verse 7, and he goes on, he says, I'll tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So the psalmist speaks, the nation speaks, but now specifically the Lord speaks. He says, you are my son today, and I have begotten you. What is he saying here? in verse 7. Well, that verse in verse 7 is used several times in the New Testament to point to one thing, the authority of Jesus Christ. Again, not an authority bestowed upon Christ because he passed through the heavens as the Mormons believe, not an authority given to him because he was a glorified angel like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe, but Jesus always has reign. Colossians says he holds all things together and he has preeminence over all things. Hebrews 1.5 says, Which of the angels does he say this to? Referring to, You are my son, today I have begotten to you. The New Testament declares the deity of Christ. It also declares the resurrection of Christ. Paul in Acts 13.32 and 33 said this. He says, This is the good news we bring. That God has promised to our fathers that he has fulfilled for us as children by raising Jesus even as it is written. It declares the resurrection of Christ. This verse 7 also declares the majesty of Christ, and we read in Philippians 2, 9 through 11 that at the name of Jesus, every name, whether on the earth or under the earth, will will bow the knee to this Jesus Christ. And I remind you that old hymn, doesn't it all hail the power of Jesus' name? Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. And so he says in verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations for you. It's big because it answers verse 1. Remember, the nations that were revolting and raging against God are the Lord's gift and heritage and possession to His Son, Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come? He came to save sinners such as us. That is true. But someday Jesus will also get the reward for His obedience, which is the nations. God has made the ends of the earth his possessions. Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he says in verse 8, "...and the ends of the earth in your possession." Possession in Psalm 2 is the great commission of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came on the earth, he was fulfilling everything said about him. And the Lord said, here, take it, it's yours. But do you remember what Satan did in Matthew 4 at the temptation of Christ? He took Jesus up to the the pinnacle of the temple and he said, just bow down and worship me and all this could be yours. Our God is in the heavens and he laughs because Jesus knew in that moment as Satan tempted him with something that was already his that he didn't need to bow to Satan. Satan needed to bow to him, and he will forever. Our God reigns. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, 18 through 20. I want to read this verbatim. I know most of this by mind, as many of you do, but I want you to hear it. It says, Jesus speaking, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Christian, our God reigns. He has as his heritage and possession the nations, and verse 9 is very clear that Christ will be judging. Hear it again. Is Jesus going to wrap the nations in his arms on that day? Is he going to hug them so much that, 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 no, hear what it says. On that day when he returns, he will be judge. It says, you, speaking of Christ, shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel are very stark words. Our God doesn't mince words. When He says it, He means it, and when He means it, He means it. He's not bluffing. He's not faking. He doesn't have His poker face on. God is speaking truth. He will break them with a rod of iron. There's coming a day, Christian, when God will do what He said He will do, and He will cast away those who do not know Jesus, and in doing so, He will show the rule of His Son, against the revolting of sin. And the reply that he will have is, get away from me, I never knew you, away you go. And all heaven and earth, we know from Revelation and the Psalms, in some way, shape or form will clap. Because they've been thrown into hell, will they clap? No. They will clap because they will see in some sense by faith that will now be their sight what God sees. That the wicked have been rid of the earth, and the righteous are reigning with the sovereign Son who rules it all. If you're not a Christian today, I urge you, I plead with you, to repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, for He is the only name above all names that can save. So there's revolting of sin, there's the reply of the sovereign, there's the rule of the Son, and finally, there are the rules of surrender. God doesn't just leave them as it is. He gives them the option until He returns to give them the rules of surrender, and He tells them to settle out of court. Notice verse 10. He says, now, therefore, He's speaking the psalmist again here. He says, therefore, based on everything you've heard, based on the revolting of sin and what that means in God's nostrils, the reply of God, what He's going to do, the ruling of the Son, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Luke 14, Jesus told the parable and he said this. He said, a king first counts the cost before he goes to war. And if he can't win, he makes peace before the battle begins. Verse 10 declares that you cannot win against the sovereign Lord. Our God reigns. And he bids the kings and and the rulers to be wise and count the cost. Don't come to battle against Jesus. Don't bring a a little water gun to a sword, or don't bring a sword to a pistol fight, whatever the phrase is. You get the the, the application. He tells these kings, look, you once again have heard the warning shots, the thunderbolts. You've heard all that stuff, but the, the day is coming when that will be no longer. In fact, Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says that when, when the presence of God comes to judge the earth, all heaven and earth will run away. It's, it's as if everything just runs away, but there will still be those who say, but, 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 but God, I'll negotiate with God. You know, we'll, we'll strike a deal. We'll make a deal. There are no deals. You either come to Him on His terms, which is to submit the need to Jesus, or you don't come at all. And Christian, if you've done that and you have to to be a Christian, thank God that He accepted you. Thank God that He he brought this news to you, this great news that He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. What a day to rejoice. But He tells us what to do. Verse 11 says, we are to serve the Lord with fear. You see, everyone is a servant, no matter what their position, no matter what their status or what their wealth. Everyone serves something or someone. But we mostly serve ourselves, don't we? But we have a fool for a master called self. And only the only other way is to submit all you have and all you are to the risen Jesus Christ. And what does it profit a person that has a big house, but his soul is homeless? What does it profit a person who drives a fancy car with two foreign names on it, but his soul is bankrupt? Or a person who wears fancy clothes with a designer with an Italian name, but his soul is naked before God? And he says, verse 11, rejoice with trembling. This is one of the most succinct definitions of worship in the Scripture. When we worship God together, church, it shouldn't be like sitting in a doctor's office or traffic or a funeral. We should rejoice because we are on the right side of history. This God reigns. And Psalm 100, verse 4 says, we are to enter His gates with thanksgiving. Look, if you know who God is, you shouldn't have to wait for a song or a moment or the special lighting to kick in or a word to get you in the mood to worship. You should praise God for His goodness, even when you're mad, even when you're sad, even when you don't have the words to say, cry out to Him. But you should do so with trembling. As we do this, our worship should not be an emotional response to man-centered entertainment, faking it as worship. We should recognize the holiness and the sovereignty of God. And he ends here in verse 12. He says, kiss the son. He says, kiss the son. Not of romance here. This isn't some fairy tale, but of submission. A defeated general, a defeated king would kiss the hand or the cheek or the feet or express the, the defeat and humility, humility and defeat of the conquering king. So he says, kiss the son. What the psalmist is doing is bidding us to submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Let's look at verse 12 one more time. He says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. His wrath is quickly kindled. What a joy. The Bible says if you're outside Jesus Christ, the the wrath of God, John 3, abides upon you. But he who has the Son has life and life eternal. The only hope for a rebellious mankind, church, is to proclaim Jesus Christ. The good news is what we proclaim. But the bad news is that we're sinners and our sin separates us from God. The worst news is that there's nothing we can do to fix what our sin has messed up. The good news is is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die at the cross, to pay for our sin, and rose from the dead. He resurrected for our justification. But the best news, and if you're a Christian, this should make your heart leap. The best news is, is that if you run to the cross and trust in Jesus, you can have forgiveness and eternal life, eternal hope right now. It's not contingent on your church membership. It's not contingent on money in an offering play. It's not contingent on anything except Jesus, and He is faithful. He, he is yes and amen. His word is true. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. There's coming a day when Jesus will no longer have warning shots. He's warned you now. Have you come to know Him? And Psalm 2 ends with a blessing. It says, all who take refuge in Him. When Noah got into the ark, it wasn't his ingenuity of building an ark of a hundred some years that saved him. It wasn't his architectural genius or his his primitive engineering skills or his uh, gopher wood or whatever it was. It was God, the scripture says in Genesis 6 and 7, who shut the door of the ark. It was only when Noah was inside that ark, with God being the one who placed him in there and God being the one who shut him up in there, was he safe. And so it is with us. Our God is a refuge. He's a strong tower. He's an ancient panic room, if you will, where you run in times of trouble. Christian, I'm here to tell you today that our God reigns. There's revolting of sin, and that's going to happen until He returns. But He replies and says, I've got this. I'm laughing at this world, but I'm also not laughing. I'm, I'm ruling, and, and I'm also offering terms of surrender, not as God would say, not that I have to anything to give up, but the world has one more chance, another opportunity to come to know Jesus. You know, a couple weeks ago, we were socially distant at a restaurant in, in uh, the state where my wife lives, and this was an area where she used to work, and I'll close with this, area where she used to work at the restaurant she used to work when she was in high school. And the man who was there uh, was probably in his 50s or 60s. He'd been there for numerous years as the manager of the restaurant. He'd actually hired all my wife's family and sisters who'd worked there over the years. He didn't remember my wife specifically. But we come to find out just a couple weeks after we got back from vacation, this man who we had talked to, socially distant, mask wearing, all the good stuff, in case you're wondering, yes, yes, yes. The man passed away suddenly. At his restaurant, he'd served so faithfully for so many years. Suddenly, he just died. Otherwise, in good health. Otherwise, um, living life, trying to serve people in an essential business during these times. He passed away. Don't know if he knew Christ. I have no idea. But so many people pass away so quickly. Christian, your hope today, not just your hope, your security is that Jesus died and he rose again. You are secure. But if you're not a Christian here today, the Bible says you are to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe on your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. The only safe refuge is in the one who reigns, and his name is Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, as we close, we thank you so much for this psalm. It is one that's lesser known. We quote it all the time, but Lord, it just reminds us how futile this world really is, how passing, how fleeting, how, like James says, we study this summer and spring. It reminds us it's like a mist or a vapor it's like a fog that's here today and gone tomorrow lord this life is so short today we're one day we're 12 the next day we're 57 yet lord we know this to be true you still reign through it all father encourage us with that news today as covid pandemic picks up in these days as as schools and po- politicians and mask wearing and all the things that make up the news these days crowd our minds Father, may the greatest crowding out of those things, not that they're not important, we pray through them, Lord, but may it be that you reign. And Father, whether we die of a virus or we die of persecution, or we die of a ripe old natural age, we just pass away. You still reign, and you hold us for all eternity. Lord, we love you for this and so much more. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, God bless. Thank you so much. We look forward to the next time we can join together. Again, you're always welcome to check out our website, towerviewkc.com, or call or text us at 816-368-1330, or drop us a message down below. We'll be glad to get back to you as soon as we can. God bless. Thank you for joining us. On behalf of Tower View Baptist Church, have a wonderful day, and God bless your day. Bye-bye.